The Exxon Radio Show with Rob McConnell is largely an opinion talk show. All opinions, comments, or statements of fact expressed by Rob McConnell's guests are strictly their own and are not to be construed as those of the Exxon Radio Show or endorsed in any manner by Rob McConnell, Relmar McConnell Media Company, the Exxon Broadcast Network, its affiliated networks, stations, employees, or advertisers. Welcome to the X-Zone, a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. Now, here's your host, Rob McConnell. And good evening, one and all, and welcome to the Exxon. I'm Rob McConnell, and for the next four hours, I will be your host. I will be your guide as together we cross the time-space continuum to this place that I call the Exxon. It's a place where people dare to believe and dare to be heard. It's a place where fact is fiction and fiction is reality. And the Exxon comes to you Monday through Friday from 10 p.m. Eastern until 2 a.m. Eastern, right here on the Exxon Broadcast Network, Talkstar Radio Network, Mutual Broadcast Network, and iHeartRadio. If you'd like to uh, send me an email, it's very simple. Exxon at ExxonRadioTV.com on all social media sites, TV. And to find out about the programming we have available for you, 24-7, 365, on the Exxon Broadcast Network, visit www.xzbn.net. My first guest tonight, Exxon Nation, is Lyle Blackburn. And uh, Lyle's research and writing on the subject of Bigfoot has widely been recognized as some of the very best in the field of cryptozoology. His best-selling books, including The Beast of Boggy Creek, Beyond Boggy Creek, and Lizard Man, offer a balanced view of the subject while delivering gripping accounts of this real-life mystery. Lyle is a frequent guest on radio programs and television shows, and uh, he's with us tonight to talk about Beyond Boggy Creek. Joining me now is Lyle Blackburn. And Lyle, welcome to the X-Zone. Hey, thanks for having me. It's great having you with us, Lyle. Where did your interest in cryptoids come uh, from? Well, it was pretty much at a very early age. I mean, initially I was attracted to movie monsters Mm -hmm. and anything spooky like that. And then at some point I saw like the Patterson-Gimlin film and was exposed to books that had stories of Bigfoot, Loch Ness Monster, and the Yeti, and I right. thought, wow, this is, you know, really compelling because, you know, these things could potentially be out there, something real. And then sometime in the 70s, I saw a movie called The Legend of Boggy Creek, which dramatized encounters of a Bigfoot in southern Arkansas, and that was close to where I lived in Texas. So that really kind of hit it home there that, you know, there could be creatures to me, even closer than, say, Scotland or the Pacific Northwest. So ever since then, I've just been fascinated by the subject. Um, tell us a little bit about the history behind Boggy Creek. Well, Boggy Creek is an interesting case. It's kind of become one of the most famous of the southern Sasquatch cases, so to speak. Mm-hmm. And uh, that case obviously was made famous through the vehicle of the movie, The Legend of Boggy Creek, which came out in 1972. And it primarily uh, highlighted the accounts in the late 60s and early 70s mm-hmm. in which people near this small town of Falk, Arkansas, were seeing something that was, uh, you know, seven feet tall, covered in hair. Uh, walked upright like a man, uh, you know, something of a Bigfoot-type creature. And that some of the, uh, you know, encounters were dramatic and and aggressive and dangerous, and and that obviously made for good cinema. And this was sort of one of those movies that you wouldn't expect it to be big, but it was. It was kind of the Blair Witch Project of its time. Uh, it was circulated in the drive-ins and theaters and made millions of dollars. And essentially, it just told the story about real encounters that had been reported in southern Arkansas. So 
that that kind of you know stuck with mm-hmm. the history of Southern Sasquatch uh, ever since. You know, I, I couldn't believe when you said 1972. That was quite some time ago. My goodness, all those years ago. And and it seems that as the years have gone past the time of the Patterson Gimlin film of uh, of Bigfoot, it seems that. There have been more and more sightings reported, more and more, more and more interest in Bigfoot and other cryptoids. Why do you think that is? I, I think it's something that's just timeless. You know, people obviously, you know, love a mystery. Mm-hmm. And I think people also can appreciate that perhaps there is something out there that we haven't discovered, something yet to, to unfold. And I think this is something that um, you know, people, people will look into and new people will join in and try to learn about the subject. And it's just some part of our human nature, you know, that perhaps just on the fringes of our consciousness, something out there, uh, that we cannot explain may be lurking. And so I think it's, uh, you know, it's a subject that even if, you know, cryptids or mm-hmm. Bigfoot or is never, quite fully explained or proven, there's still going to be an interest in that. Let me use an analogy. You've got everybody in the UFO community talking about disclosure, uh, how close we are to finding out who, what, when, where, why about UFOs are. How close, in your professional opinion, are we to finding out who, what, when, where, why, and how of Bigfoot and other cryptoids? Well, I mean... For a lot of the time, I almost expect that the next day, just any day, mm-hmm. something will come in, you know, some definitive proof, a body, uh, some something that can, you know, be studied with DNA and, and be proven positive uh, because, you know, of all the all the interviews and all the sightings and all the evidence that I come across, you know, there are some compelling pieces that, uh, you know, in my mind, mm-hmm. keep the possibility alive. So, and given as much as I see, I think, man, it's just any day now something's going to turn up. Based on your experience, what is the most compelling case or point of evidence that you have either heard, seen, or are aware of that to you is? irrefutable proof of the existence of these cryptids, Bigfoot, Boggy Creek Monster, and so on? Well, to me, I think, you know, I mean, arguably the term irrefutable, uh, you know, but at least evidence that, uh, you know, suggests that something can Mm -hmm. be out there enough to to keep us on the trail. And I think for me, uh, as far as Bigfoot, uh, some of the footprints are the most compelling. You know, th- these are, you know, somewhat physical pieces. Mm-hmm. You know, we've got casts and track castings, and there's been a number of those that have surfaced over the years. Uh, you know, the quality varying, but there, there's one, for example, that I discuss in my book that was found in Georgia, and Georgia has a history of Bigfoot sightings. There's a lot of forestry out there, and there was a particular track found back in the 90s by a deputy sheriff out there near this place called Elkins Creek. And the, the track is huge. It's obviously not human. Um, and it, the circumstances surrounding the discovery, especially one by a police officer who really had you know, no interest in Bigfoot, he just simply collected the evidence at hand uh, based on some complaints of some people who lived in the woods there that something had been prowling around their house for quite some time. And, and this particular print uh, was analyzed by uh, scientists, uh, experts in anatomy, uh, even a, a person who is on board with the uh, analysis of fingerprints and has some experience with primate fingerprints. And they all agreed that this appears to be the print of a, you know, a, a biological creature. It seems to have dermal ridges, which are like, i.e. fingerprints. Yeah. And so I've seen that cast, and to me, that you know, uh, you know I've, I've spoken to the deputy, mm-hmm. and there, there's just no explanation for it. You know, it just seems to be one of those things that, to me, uh, you know, keeps the possibility alive that Bigfoot is out there. 
If I'm not mistaken, Bigfoot has been seen or reported right across the United States. Yeah, definitely. I mean, that's one thing that, you know, on a cursory level, people are probably aware, obviously, that Bigfoot is something that is associated with the West Coast, mm-hmm. uh, Pacific Northwest, you know, even British Columbia. But I don't think people really realize that that there is such a long history of sightings all over the United States. I mean, of course, uh, recent television shows like Finding Bigfoot have kind of uh, you know, gotten that information across like never before. But, um, even as far as the history, even in the Southern states where people don't normally think, you know, of Bigfoot there, there still is a very long history of sightings there. Isn't it called a skunk ape in Florida? Right. Yeah, Yeah. definitely. There's, there's different terminologies that have been given to these creatures. And one reason why they don't often just initially pop up as far as uh, a search of Bigfoot, because uh, most of the time in the past, these creatures weren't referred to as Bigfoot, even after the Bigfoot name had been coined in the late 50s. And in places such as Florida, uh, the locals called these creatures, these ape-like creatures, they would call them skunk apes. And that was based on the alleged smell that these creatures gave off. And, And you have a lot of examples like this of... Uh, creatures in the South being called, you know, all kinds of colorful names. Of course, the Boggy Creek Monster, sure. you know. Listen, listen, Lyle, I hate to cut you off, but I've got to take my first break. Please stand by. Exonation Lyle Blackburn is our guest this hour. We're talking about Beyond Boggy Creek this hour here in the Exxon. His uh, website is lyleblackburn.com. And we'll be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone radio show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone broadcast network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on Simo TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand worldwide and more does this sound like tomorrow's television well it is but you can have it today right now it is simul tv simul tv offers what the others only wish they could provide 15 exclusive channels like Zone, sci-fi and horror we are worldwide no other provider offers that 500 built-in video games no need to have an extra expensive system we have them included free video on demand live streaming events from around the world, interactive online network, and much more. Tomorrow's TV today, Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. 
www.thepowerhouse.com. Exonation, Lyle Blackburn is my guest this hour, www.lyleblackburn.com. Lyle, in your latest book, Beyond Boggy Creek, you examine the subject of Bigfoot sightings in the southern United States. Can you tell us a little bit more about the book, please? Well, the book uh, covers, you know, the entirety of the history of Bigfoot-like mm-hmm. creature sightings in the south. And uh, in terms of what is defined as the southern United States, I really had to end up limiting that to the deep south because as I discovered during the research that there were so many of these sightings, so many compelling encounters and such a long history that uh, basically I encompass roughly 10 states, 10 or 11 states, and this would be considered mostly in the deep south. And each of these states uh, from Oklahoma, Arkansas, Texas, all the way over to Florida and uh, the Carolinas and places like that, you find these interesting stories that uh, first surfaced in old newspapers uh, and on up into you know the, the early 1900s and covered by newspapers and then into the modern times where uh, you have a lot of accounts that are disseminated across the internet and quite a few of these cases I've interviewed the witnesses myself. And uh, so the book kind of covers, you know, just the history you know, of Bigfoot, uh, the regional names that were used in, in these cases, you know, such as the Skunk Ape, mm-hmm. Boggy Creek Monster. And, uh, you know, I tried to, to uh, in, in my book, I don't try to necessarily sell you on believing in Bigfoot. I just simply report what has been reported, report the eyewitness encounters and examine some of the better pieces of evidence um, throughout that and sort of. Uh, throughout the book, I sort of use, uh, I don't go necessarily state by state, but mm-hmm. I follow waterways and t- different types of terrain to sort of navigate through all these years of Bigfoot history. Are there a lot of similarities in the sightings across the United States and uh, within your book? Are there common threads that you as an investigator and a researcher have been able to use to further the research that you've obviously spent a lot of time doing? I think there is some commonality. I mean, you know, you, you see some differences. For example, the, the the Bigfoot of the Pacific Northwest and the northern states tend to be described as being larger, perhaps bulkier, whereas in the south you get a little bit of a smaller description, uh, often a little more uh, – Uh, you know, unkempt, a little more aggressive in the South. And, you know, this could be perhaps due to the environment. I mean, obviously it's hotter here and, uh, you know, you would have some, some differences as these creatures would be spread around the different terrains of the U S you know, as far as commonality, you just find that in most cases, you know, the sightings are brief glimpses. People see these things, but it's not long exposure. Uh, they're not posing for pictures. They, they're just uh, a chance encounter. And you see the commonality of these strange encounters across the board. And I think that uh, in some cases where you do have particular descriptions being, say, more primate, you mm-hmm. find that the witnesses in that area typically – uh, you know, have the same similar descriptions. And you would think if these people are simply making it up, then how would they uh, know to, to note these particular characteristics of the creatures uh, indigenous to that area? So that's always a compelling thing. What do we know about the lifestyle of Bigfoot, its social um, environment, how it... It, uh, how, let me ask you this question first. How has Bigfoot been able to evade us all of these years? Well, obviously, that's a good question and the big question. And, you know, while it seems implausible, it's mm-hmm. not completely impossible because, you know, animals can do amazing things, and, and animals are, you know, experts in their own environment. And if you have a creature that we could presume would be above average intelligence for animals, um, perhaps it's, you know, it's not impossible that they could 
remain uh, undiscovered. You know, occasionally they're seen. Occasionally they make mistakes and run across the roads. Occasionally they get ornery and, you know, bang on somebody's house. Sure. But in general, they stay reclusive. And uh, I suppose also there's some luck in that. You know, one hasn't necessarily been run over by a semi, but it's not to say that, you know, one of them hasn't been killed and, and just, you know, somebody thought it was a bear and just moved mm. on. You know, it's not to say that, that one hasn't, there hasn't been an accident. But I think, you know, all those things combined, somehow or another, they've managed to remain elusive. Is there a possibility that Bigfoot may be um, a relative of human? Uh, you know, uh, you know the, all, all of that is certainly uh, on the table as far as mm-hmm. the theories. I mean, and some of the theories behind this range from uh, the creature being a descendant of Gigantopithecus, which was a, a very large ape that lived in uh, Asia mm-hmm. thousands of years ago. Or, you know, people suggest that it could be a relic Neanderthals. Um, you know, they could be much closer, closely related to humans. You know, the the evolution tree of of hominids is very very bushy and yeah. and branchy, and perhaps some of these creatures are, uh, you know, distant relatives of us. So, you know, you you have varying descriptions. Some saying they're very manlike. So, those are all possibilities that we have to consider. Is it possible that Bigfoot is the missing link? Well, you know, and that it, it could be, so to speak. And Mm -hmm. that's, you know, initially that was kind of the way it was described, you know, it's sort of the, the missing link between the, the more primate, uh, version of ourselves and our modern day selves. So, you know, that could very well be. If Bigfoot is a, relative of mankind or humankind, no offense, ladies, should they not be protected by law? Well, you know, of course, that that makes certain sense. And I think people, I notice that people who have had sightings, mm-hmm. people who have experiences like that are very passionate about passing laws like this. But of course, you know, lawmakers, the government, uh, you know, police officers and things like this, you know, they're very skeptical of this. And it just seems often ridiculous to pass a law about a creature that hasn't been proven. Um, so I think it's just kind of a catch 22 that and really until one is proven, then, you know, lawmakers are not really going to get behind this. There are some laws that have been passed. Even in Florida, there was one passed that protects skunk apes. But I think they're often kind of tongue-in-cheek or possibly politicians trying to get, uh, you know, some publicity. So sure. it's just going to take some more proof in order for those laws to be passed. You know, I, because I've, I've often thought, well, if there are animal protection rights and laws to protect uh, domesticated animals and other animals that may be endangered, why hasn't somebody picked up the, the torch and said, well, listen, you know, if Bigfoot is out there, he or she, they are definitely an endangered species. So why aren't, why aren't they getting the same protection as cats, dogs, horses, cows, pigs, and the rest of the animal family? Right. I mean, that certainly yeah. makes sense because if, if they are indeed, and they do indeed exist, then mm-hmm. they are endangered. You know, there would be very yeah. small populations. It's the only way it could be for them to remain this elusive. So they are quite endangered and you know, they could pass into extinction without us ever proving them uh, because they're so endangered. So un- unfortunately, you know, that's just the way the world works because of e- economics and business and logging. And, mm-hmm. you know, we're, we're, we're just tearing down um, our natural resources without in many times concerns for even the creatures we know exist. So Bigfoot, you know, is really getting the, the short end of this stick here and as far as that goes. In other countries around the world, uh, I know there have been Bigfoot sightings. You know, you've got the Yeti in the Himalayas and so on. Are their sightings increasing or decreasing? I think that sightings have increased, Mm -hmm. but I'm not sure necessarily if that's because these creatures are being seen more often or 
It's just that it's easier to disseminate these sightings on the Internet, and it's also more socially acceptable to say you've seen a creature like this. There's been so many shows, you know, Finding Bigfoot, yeah. uh, things like that, that you can see where you say, well, you know, these people don't seem crazy and they saw something. Maybe it's okay for me to tell what I saw. So I think all of that played together, you know, you just simply have a lot more reports circulating. But if you start talking to old timers and, and, you know, your, your grandmother mm-hmm. or relatives back, they'll, they, a lot of times they say, you know, yeah, you know, your uncle saw something out here years ago. He just didn't tell anybody. So, uh, you know, there's more sightings, but I'm not sure what to attribute that to necessarily. The show, the social stigma seems to be, um, wearing down, so to speak. Absolutely. I mean, I I think very much so. And I've, you know, even in the time I've been Mm -hmm. investigating over the years, I find it easier to get people to talk these days than I did, you know, earlier on and, you know, nearly a decade ago um, because of that reason, which so it helps me to to field reports, you know, and I can be the one that can determine whether these reports are credible or not. It's just good to get those reports to evaluate them. All right, Lyle, please stand by. We have to take our news break at the bottom of the hour. Exonation Lyle Blackburn is our special guest this hour. And we're talking to Lyle about, amongst other things, his new book entitled Beyond Boggy Creek. His website is www.lyleblackburn.com. And Lyle and I will be back on the other side of this break as we continue here in the Exxon with yours truly, Rob McConnell, from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Broadcast studios in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada, to the world and beyond. You're watching the Exxon Broadcast Network, www.xzbn.net. The scientist and the mystic have been on an age-old, relentless search with one thing in common. They seek truth. Their paths converge in the 40,000-year-old practice of shamanism, an ancient science delving to the quantum level of life, facilitating healing, manifestation, and evolution. I'm Gwilda Wiecka, the founder and director of Path Home Shamanic Arts School, a unique Colorado State-certified occupational school, training shamanic practitioners and teachers. We also provide classes for empowering personal lives through shamanism. Our certification classes are in week-long segments, enabling international participation, and online classes and long-distance shamanic healing sessions are available. Come discover the science of magic in the limitless world of shamanism. www.findyourpathhome.com Did you know that when you're on the road with limited data or Wi-Fi, you can still listen to the X-Zone Radio Show with Rob McConnell, The Science of Magic with Gwilda Wiaka, X-1, Dimension X, Space Patrol, and every minute of the X-Zone Broadcast Network by calling 213-401-0080, courtesy of Audio Now. No smartphone, app, or internet needed. It saves your data plan and it's free if you have unlimited minutes. Call 213-401-0080 to listen on any phone, anytime, anywhere. Remember 213-401-0080 for the best of the paranormal, parapsychology, and sci-fi radio programming anywhere, 24-7-365. Rob McConnell here, presenting an overview for Nicholas Paul Jinnix, author of a fascinating book, Amen. It presents facts revealed by Egyptologists, facts that enable us to understand why Amen is the beginning of creation of God. It provides recommendations for religious leaders of the major religions to unify their beliefs and teach the word of God, love one another. Amen informs people how mankind conceived God. It was the Egyptians that developed the concepts of a soul, a hereafter, and son of God 
And finally, after the worship of many gods, they conceived the belief in one universal God, the maker of all there is. For more information, visit www.futureofgodamen.com. That's www.futureofgodamen.com. Welcome back, everyone. Lyle Blackburn is my guest this hour, www.lyleblackburn.com. Lyle, as far as you know, uh, during your research or any of the information that you've received from other Bigfoot researchers or investigators, has there ever been a documented case of where Bigfoot has been the aggressor of any known Bigfoot attacks? Yes, there are, you know, a handful of those, Mm -hmm. Um, you know, while... The majority of the sightings or reports, you know, are uh, cursory encounters with these creatures. There are some that uh, suggest that these things can be aggressive. And there's even rumors that, you know, Bigfoot has killed people on occasion. Um, Of of those, the more credible ones, I find that, uh, you know, somebody was in a situation Mm -hmm. in the woods or they lived in a rural area in which the creatures would either – uh, come up on that person and appear to, you know, be territorial about it. And they would either uh, bluff charge them or uh, even aggressively try to grab them uh, in an attempt, I suppose, to run them out of the area. And in such cases where, where they've stalked around the home on recurring occasions, usually, you know, it kind of ramps up with the aggressive type of uh, behavior to where, you know, at first, they're creeping around, and the next thing you know, they're trying to get in the window or trying to get through the door. And there's been, in my book, Beyond Boggy Creek, I have even a section on aggressive accounts because a lot of these have occurred in the southern states. And there's just some mind-blowing uh, accounts where creatures like this had tried to get into people's houses, where they tried to pull people from cars. Um, and, of course, this has resulted in you know, retaliation with shotguns and things like that. This is the South after all. But uh, yeah, definitely there are, mm. are, are instances where the creatures are aggressive and perhaps this could be related to uh, their, you know, a particular individual's temperament or their territorial. Have there been colonies or I shouldn't say uh, colonies that have been uh, found where Bigfoot is living, but abandoned uh, colonies where Bigfoot has resided with other members of the Bigfoot community? And if so, can, what can you tell us about them? Well, there are things that have been found uh, called nesting sites, mm-hmm. for example. And some of those uh, nesting sites, there, were, there are some in the state of Washington that uh, they found a number of these nests that there's no explanation for, They and they most... Uh, resemble the uh, gorilla nests Um, and Hmm. you know there's been some hairs picked up and there's still some analysis going on about that but uh, there's a group called the Olympic Project that is looking at that and that's the best case where you appear to have these uh, you know uh, like I say colony sites or just bedding areas where a number of these creatures may have been staying and it was positioned uh, near you know, food, uh, rivers, and places like that. So it was uh, an advantageous position. Um, You've got other scant reports of structures being built, uh, tree structures and things like this, but it's not often that you have a nest. And uh, there are places uh, like barns and things like that where these creatures have been said to live or have been run out of. Uh, So, you know, I think they're opportunistic in, in where they would have to Uh, weather out storms or sleep during the night, you know. Sure. Could you give us an example or two of one of your, of of some of your favorite sightings or other stories from the book? 
Well, there's certainly a number of those uh, in the book. You know, as you research these things mm-hmm. and encounter more stories, each of them are so individual and fascinating uh, unto their own right. But uh, you know, some of the ones that have struck me, uh, there's there's just a really good, long, drawn out sighting in, in which occurred in the '80s. Uh, on the border of Texas and Louisiana, in a place where there's a long history of sightings, of course. And a hunter said he had gone up there early one morning, and as the sun began to come up over the uh, horizon, uh, he saw a group of hogs coming in. And uh, they were getting near his stand. He was up in a tree. and uh, But about the same time, he sees something out, out to the right of, right of his uh, vision, and it was kind of moving between the trees. And he, as he, you know, focused in on it and looked at it through its sight, he could see it was some sort of an ape-like creature. Now, you know, this wasn't a person who you know, was thinking of Bigfoot or even believed in Bigfoot. Uh, but as this thing got closer and closer, uh, he could see that it was an upright ape-like creature that walked on two legs. And mm-hmm. what happened was is these hogs ended up coming to – uh, gather some of his uh, corn that he'd thrown out, and this creature, uh, presumably hunting, jumped out, grabbed one of these hogs, and uh, you know, uh, took off with it. And uh, and uh, it, the thing stalled and looked at that hunter. I guess it sensed that he was there, and in that moment, mm-hmm. the hunter said, "You know, I had a choice: could I shoot this thing, uh, or what should I do?" And he said that it just looked too manlike to shoot. And then, you know, he was frightened and he wasn't sure that he could even take the thing down with the bullet. But he was, you know, confronted by something that he just simply couldn't explain. And uh, in the end, he just had to weather it out. And the creature kind of basically acknowledged that he knew he was there. And then it just took off into the woods. And, uh, you know, it's just one of those things where you have to put yourself in that position and think, wow, if you were up there, even if you had a gun and you exactly. were watching this creature the whole time, you know, what would you do in that situation? Obviously, the hunter was a very compassionate person. <laughs> yeah, well, it, you know, and I get that question a lot where people say, you know, well, you know, you would think that a hunter would shoot one of these things. And I've interviewed quite a few hunters mm-hmm. and almost all of them say that same thing. It's like, while they don't you know, they don't mind, uh, taking out a deer or even there's been bear hunters or big game hunters, any sort of a hunter, but they say when confronted by one of these creatures, you know, they just say it simply looks too much like a man. And I just could not risk shooting that. I mean, perhaps it could even be a person in a, in a, in a suit and, Mm -hmm. you know, they would be guilty of murder. So, uh, just for all accounts, they just end up not able to shoot that thing. So that, you know, that, that kind of, uh, speaks volumes about what these creatures really could be. Has the uh, boggy Creek monster been seen recently? Uh, yes, there has been sightings all along. And, and when I first started writing my books, my first book, The Beast of Boggy Creek, mm-hmm. which I just, you know, set out to discuss the making of the old movie and the history yeah. of encounters, as I researched that, what I discovered was that the sightings had continued all along. It's just that the media had kind of moved on. You know, the movie, you know, dissipated out. Yeah. There was some sequels made on into the 80s. But ever since then, the sightings just sort of became known to the locals. And now that I'm associated with the Boggy Creek case and that, that sort of thing, I, I get, of course, get the sightings more easily now. And it just has been an ongoing thing. There's still been encounters down there, uh, you know, compelling and chilling encounters mm-hmm. that have gone on, even as recently as within the last, I'd say, five months. Wow. I've gotten, gotten encounters. So Unbelievable. So when you're out doing your investigations and you're doing your interviews and – and you're, you're talking to credible witnesses, like you were saying, this police officer, and I'm sure there's other credible members of society who are now coming forward and discussing this case with you and other researchers. Has there been one moment or one interview that has just blown your socks off? Yeah, there's there are those that stick with you. I mean, because a lot of these, you know, I mean, you could... 
and I try to remain balanced and skeptical mm-hmm. about it. You know, you don't want to, you just want to look at it from an uh, objective point of view. Right. Um, and so in that, you know, you, there, you can potentially dismiss some of them as perhaps mistaken identity. Perhaps it was a shadow. I don't know. But there are a number of those that you just can't find an explanation for. And there's one that occurred uh, coincidentally in the Boggy Creek area back in the 80s. And I have interviewed the witness. Mm-hmm. I've gotten to know his family. I've interviewed his father who was, who arrived on the scene very shortly after the sighting. And by all accounts, this this young – who was a young man at the time is extremely credible. He never told his story before until I interviewed him uh, about eight, eight or nine years ago. Um, and in the case of his sighting, he was on the back part of his property, and his property is quite extensive. They have a pond back there, and he was fishing late one evening. And he had heard some rustling in the leaves, and he thought it was perhaps the neighbor's bull had gotten onto their property. But uh, just about the time he was wrapping up the fishing, and of course he's sitting on the pond being very quiet, obviously, mm-hmm. he, he could hear footsteps like something walking. And he said he looked up, and right on a bank right above that pond, he saw a creature that stood between six and seven feet tall. It was walked upright, sort of hunched a bit. It was covered in dark brown hair. It was definitely ape-like, yet walked like a person. And it was not a person in a suit. And he said the thing, uh, you know, walked up over that embankment and never saw him and just disappeared off into the woods. Fascinating. And, you know, while I don't have a picture, I don't have a video, Mm -hmm. I have interviewed this guy, even on camera in a documentary we did called Boggy Creek Monster. And it's one of those that you can rule out most other things. It wasn't a hallucination. He was within like 60 or 70 feet. So he definitely had a good line of vision. He saw it for. All right. We're going to have to do a little bit of a cliffhanger here, my friend, because we have to queue up our final break. So please stand by. Lyle Blackburn is our guest. The name of his new book, Beyond Boggy Creek. And his website is lyleblackburn.com. We'll be back as we wrap up this hour here in the Exxon. On the other side of this break, don't go away. You have heard of the X-Zone? Now watch it on TV, plus 500 video games, live TV channels, free video on demand, worldwide, and more. Does this sound like tomorrow's television? Well, it is, but you can have it today, right now. It is TV. TV offers what the others only wish they could provide. 15 exclusive channels like X-Zone, sci-fi, and horror. We are worldwide. No other provider offers that. 500 built-in video games. No need to have an extra expensive system. We have them included. Free video on demand. Live streaming events from around the world. Interactive online network and much more. Tomorrow's TV today. Simul TV. Sound too good to be true? Well, it's not. You can have Simul TV today. Sign up at simultv.com. Do it today. The new nonfiction book, Razor of Madness, is similar to cult movies like Clockwork Orange, Dragon's Tattoo, or The Other Side of Hell. Wayne Morin Jr. and Thomas Lee Howe will expose widespread and systematic deficiencies in this thought-provoking tell-all novel. Mind control rages among scholars in law schools. Human rights are ignored while thought reform and mental manipulation are accepted practices used as behavior modification. Dr. Louis Jolion West comes to mind. Media and public scrutiny shows that United States mental hospitals are in fact destructive murder industries. Razor of Madness Expose Novel details this epidemic through an in-depth professional and personal investigation. For decades there has been a revolving door policy that still releases killers and pedophiles back into society. The maestro of mind control continues to haunt America to this very day. Razor of Madness is available in paperback or as a downloadable ebook at Amazon.com. I'm William S. Peckham. If you enjoy a good mystery with a touch of the paranormal, then you'll love my novel, From Out of the Woodwork. It's the story of a young Toronto contractor, Sean Kennedy, who buys derelict homes, guts them, and turns them into multifamily dwellings, slums just waiting to happen. 
When Sean buys 29 Livery Lane, the house fights back. Former owners unexpectedly come out of the woodwork as he starts the destruction. The apparitions come to him when he touches old books, reads hidden letters, rummages through old boxes, finds a locket or reads a discovered manuscript of a murder mystery. From out of the woodwork will take you from 1899 to the horror of the World Trade Center, September 11, 2001. Check out From Out of the Woodwork on my website, www.williamspeckham.com. All right, Exxon Nation, our guest this hour is Lyle Blackburn. He's the author of Beyond Boggy Creek. It's a new book out, and uh, for more information about Lyle or how you can get a, your very own copy of this book, go to www.lyleblackburn.com. First of all, Lyle, thanks so much for coming on the show. Great talking to you. I wish you much success with your book. I love the way that you look at things and the amount of research and dedication you have to the, uh, to the as of yet, unproven phenomenon, but I agree with you that one day very shortly, the proof will be there for all to see. I just hope that the the circumstances are not morbid. Um, when it comes to sightings of, of uh, Bigfoot, using the generality of the of the um, of the phenomena, are, do more men see Bigfoot or do more women see Bigfoot? And on the other side of the coin, does Bigfoot interact differently with men than women? Hmm, that, yeah, that's an interesting question. Uh, you know, I think just off the top of my head, it, mm -hmm. it seems to be about equal somewhat uh, in sightings by men and sightings by women. You know, there's, you know, most of these, a lot of these, you know, you're driving in a car, you see something across mm -hmm. the road, you're hunting, there's men and women hunters, or it's seen near rural homes. So it's a, you know, it's across the board as to who sees this, even, you know, younger people to old people. Um, and the interactions, you know, there's not a lot of long drawn out interactions where we can draw a lot of information as to, uh, you know, how they react to right. men versus women. Uh, although, you know, of course you have theories that they would be attracted, uh, to women or even children's voices, maybe the more playful or lighter nature of these voices that mm -hmm. perhaps that could draw them in. Um, and you know, perhaps male voices or male presence could draw out this territorial thing. Right. Uh, but, you know, as with most of the Bigfoot phenomenon, most of the Bigfoot research, there's never quite enough case studies or, or you know, uh, something where we can make very hard, uh, you know, assumptions about this, this sort of activity. What are the do's and don'ts about looking for Bigfoot? If some, if a group of people decide that, hey, come on, we're going to go to the local forested area where there have been Bigfoot sightings, and we're going to be the people to, you know, to finally get the smoking gun to present to the world, what would you suggest the do's and the don'ts are? Well, I think the the do's are, you know, have fun with it. Mm -hmm. You know, it, it's it, it's something that people get passionate about, but it's uh, something that, you know, you got to keep in mind that this, this is a mystery and mysteries are fun to, to attempt to solve. So always have a good time with it. Always, uh, know where you're going. I mean, you know, cryptid research involves a lot of times going into the woods and there's a lot of other things in the woods that, uh, could be potentially dangerous much beyond Bigfoot. Mm -hmm. So you need to know where you're going, have it mapped, have, uh, you know, adequate water supply and, uh, you know, survival tools and things like that and the proper camping gear, um, you know, and be respectful of people's, people's properties. You know, the, there's a lot of property lines out there and you don't want to be traipsing across people's property, uh, you know, things like that. And one thing to do is, you know, have a good quality camera, 
have a something to measure with. If you can, have some casting material in case you do find a cast. You know, you never know what you're going to find. So try to be prepared as far as that goes. Mm. Are there specific times of the year when Bigfoot is more active than others? Uh, there's, there seems to be some, uh, pattern to that. Yes. I, I find that, uh, kind of late spring, there's a lot of sightings, uh, there's sightings, you know, in the fall, uh, February for some reason seems to be a, a time when, when they're sighted and mm-hmm. perhaps that could be attributed to the fact that, you know, the, the, the foliage is less on the trees. You can see even further into the woods if sure. you're driving down the roads. I, I, hard to say, but, uh, in general though, you know, the expectation to encounter one of these creatures, you know, could be any time because, uh, you know, you've literally got encounters that span through every single month. What would be some of the signs uh, for people who are bound and determined to go into the woods to look for Bigfoot, who really don't have that much experience? What would be some of the signs that they're actually getting close to where a Bigfoot is or has been? Well, uh, you know, that that's a tough one, obviously, because... Uh, if we if we knew too much of that, we would be able to track these things down with you know much more ease. But sure. uh, you know, just think about a place where an animal like that could potentially live. You know, it would need to be woods, heavy woods, places with uh, water. You know, access to water. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, the thing I look for a lot is not necessarily looking for Bigfoot, but looking for tracks. If you find muddy areas, you know. Uh, keep on the lookout there for tracks. That's where tracks can can be left very easily. And if you were to find a track, obviously, or something that you believed could possibly be a Bigfoot track, well, you're on the right track. And that would be a place to frequent and to continue your research. Um, you know, other things, it's just uh, they're, they're just very elusive and don't leave many signs in the woods. So there's not a, there's not going to be a breadcrumb trail left by these creatures at all. A lot of it is just simply going to be luck and being in the right place at the right time. There are those within the different paranormal communities that believe Bigfoot is an interdimensional, um, anomaly. There are others who believe that Wherever Bigfoot is, there are UFO sightings. What are your What are your views on those statements? Well, I find that as far as the the correlation between Bigfoot and UFO sightings, mm-hmm. that there are times when there have been uh, flaps of UFO sightings that correspond to Bigfoot sightings. Um, some of the famous cases, the Missouri Monster, right? Uh, for example, you know, you've got those correlations, but the majority of the Bigfoot sightings. Uh, don't, you know, have any correlating reports of UFOs. So, you know, you, you can't draw a, cert, a definite parallel between those. And I've, I've rarely read, if, if I know of any, where, uh, you know, Bigfoot creatures are seen actually getting off of such a craft. It's more like, well, there was a, reports of Bigfoot, and at the same time that night, some other people reported a UFO. Um, as far as the theories that they could be interdimensional or extraterrestrial or any of that, I think just the nature of this uh, raises these kinds of hypothetical theories, you know, because it's hard to explain. It becomes hard to explain where, how they could be so elusive. So I think it's natural that people are going to going to have their opinions and, and bring up these points as the possibilities to explain the presence of the creatures. So... I never discount anybody for their theories. All, all is on the table until we have further solid proof, and then we will, uh, you know, we will be able to uh, know the answers. With all the information that is available on the Internet today, there is a lot of credible information done by credible researchers like yourself and uh, Jeff Meldrum and so on, and the list goes on and on and on. But there is more, I, be- I call it disinformation, then there is valuable information. And if somebody is listening to us tonight for the first time and they're hearing about Bigfoot and they would like to find out more about it, how can they, or what should they look for when investigating the Bigfoot phenomenon online? 
Uh, that's an excellent point. If you're getting into this, you really need to seek information from books mm-hmm. and not the internet because I I have seen countless uh, incorrect data out there. Things people just don't read or research. They can they will repost on something on a blog that is was incorrect from the get-go and then that's posted on four or five more blogs um, comments and things like that mm-hmm. definitely start with some good solid books you know there's been many good ones written start with john green you know uh some of his books yeah. uh jeff meldrum of course my books um start there and that gives you a better sense of well-researched uh a look into the Bigfoot phenomenon. Be aware of the internet. Not all you read out there is is absolutely correct. Well, I call it the world's largest septic tank that has ever been created by mankind because there's more crap in it than there is anything else. <laughs> well, yes, I, I'm going to agree with you there. I didn't want to say that, but yeah, it's, it's, a, it's a dump, man. <laughs> it is. Hey, Lyle, it's been a great pleasure having you on the show. As I told you during the break, please don't be a stranger, but let our listeners know how they can find out more about you and where they can get your books well definitely yeah just uh the good place to start is my website at lyle blackburn l-y-l-e blackburn.com and at lyleblackburn.com you can find links to my books they're available on amazon barnesandnoble.com and all the flavors uh, ebook itunes everywhere um, and my website has those i've also got a falcmonster.net website which will give you more information about the boggy creek case if you would like that and uh, all those links can be found on my website so i appreciate everybody listening and uh, hope to hear from you Lyle, thank you so much, and continued success, and uh, let us know if there's anything we can do to help get any of the news out there about Bigfoot out to our listeners. We'll make it happen for you. Absolutely. I appreciate it. You take care now, Lyle. ExoNation, Lyle uh, Blackburn has been my guest this hour. Very informative young man. His na- newest book is entitled Beyond Boggy Creek. His website is lyleblackburn.com. Com. I'll be back on the other side of this break at six and a half minutes past the top of the hour as we continue here in the Exxon from our broadcast center in Hamilton, Ontario, Canada. Don't go away. Modern Esoteric, Beyond Our Senses by Brad Olson, consummates the lifeology story about where humanity originates. It is the lost continents, the primitive wisdom, the mythos of creation, and the rethinking of ancient history as we are taught in academia. There is much more to the story than what we have been told. As this is the first book in the Esoteric series, Modern Esoteric starts at the beginning of time and accelerates up to this modern age. Future Esoteric is book two in the series and takes a forward-looking position ahead of today with an open and honest examination of the ET issue and various unexplained phenomena. To discover the writings of author Brad Olson, visit www.bradolson.com. That's www.bradolson.com. Are you or is someone you know struggling with addictions, depression, anxiety, relationships, low self-esteem, lack of confidence, grief, success, and prosperity? Do you know that your subconscious belief plays a big role in the outcome of your hard work? We can help you permanently change the beliefs that may be the reason for your struggles and failures. We care about getting you the return on your investment and the results you are looking for. We can help you be free of the limitations of your past and in realizing your highest potential. We work with people by phone and Skype. For more information, visit us at www.ritasoman.com. That's www.ritasoman.com. Do you think you have energy problems in your home? Do you feel better when you're away than when you're home? 
Joey Korn is a global leader in the world of dowsing who specializes in personal energy clearing and space clearing. He can help you create an ideal energy environment in your home no matter where you live in the world. Learn about his remote spiritual house cleaning services and much more at www.dowsers.com. You can get Joey's book, Dowsing, A Path to Enlightenment, as well as other dowsing books and tools, Kabbalah books, and Walter Russell books. Joey's work is really amazing. Go to dowsers.com right now. That's D-O-W-S-E-R-S dot com or call 1-877-DOWSING. That's 1-877-369-7464.